Um, I believe this question uh, can be broken down into four parts. Um, uh, those parts are, are who or what is BDS? What are BDS's goals? Um, the question of a popular front versus a united front of the working class. And finally, the question of the Israeli proletariat in general, especially in the context of the broader Middle East. Um, so let's take them one at a time, if you don't mind. Um, uh, what is BDS? Uh, the BDS uh, is a, a committee and organization in uh, Ramallah in the, uh, in the West Bank, um, whose uh, nominal governing body is something called the Palestinian BDS National Committee, which consists of uh, a couple of dozen uh, various uh, organizations, Palestinian organizations, um, one of which is the National Committee, uh, is the Council of National and Islamic Forces in Palestine. And one of the components of that council is a Hamas. Um, so, Hamas is indirectly or directly, I guess, uh, you know, part of the governing structure of BDS. And I think therefore it's worthwhile exploring uh, for a moment uh, what uh, uh, Hamas stands for. Um, uh, as we know, Hamas is a fiercely uh, right-wing and anti-Semitic uh, organization. Um, which uh, whose charter adopted it, I think, in 1988 and never rescinded, uh, quotes the um, uh, the Al Bukhari Hadith, famous Hadith, the, the effect that uh, that uh, calling on Muslims to kill the Jews uh, when the Day of Judgment arrives. Uh, the Hamas charter uh, cites the protocols of the Elders of Zion as one of its sources. It refers to uh, Jewish immigration uh, to Palestine as a Tartar invasion. Uh, it says that the Jews with their money uh, took control to the world media, news agencies, press, publishing houses, et cetera, stirred revolutions in various parts of the world, including the French Revolution, the Communist Revolution, and most of the revolutions we hear about. Uh, with their money, they were able to control imperialistic countries and instigate them to colonize many countries in order to exploit their resources and spread corruption. Um, uh, this is well known. And, uh, and Eddie Ford in a Weekly Worker 1374 uh, wrote that a revolu revolutionary should point it out that uh, Hamas is an Islamist, Islamist organization that has a thoroughly reactionary agenda, both within Palestine and the wider region. Uh, and the victims of this gender agenda would be uh, women, gays, Democrats, atheists, trade unionists, socialists, communists, religious minorities, et cetera. Uh, Ford also wrote that Hamas does nothing to divide the Israeli population along class lines, but quite the opposite helps to consolidate that population behind the Zionist state and its own ruling class. Um, and uh, Ford went on to say that um, uh, if the Socialist Workers Party in Britain, uh, which had cited uh, Hamas as a, as a revolutionary organization, 
uh, Comrade Ford said, the, if the SWP does not think this is anti-Semitism, they have a big problem. Um, but the question is, what does BDS think? I mean, BDS has gone out of its way to condemn anti-Semitism, laudably so, so, but at the same time has on its governing board uh, a fiercely anti-Semitic organization. Uh, and I might also point out that when economic protests erupted in the Gaza Strip, uh, led by a group calling itself the We Want to Live movement, the protests were against unemployment, poverty, and corruption. In February 2019, Hamas security forces crushed the demonstrations uh, rapidly. Um, so the question is that Hamas is not only an, a right-wing anti-Semitic organization, but an organization uh, dedicated to the repression uh, of the Palestinian labor movement. So the question is, um, uh, is uh, BDS uh, includes this um, governing, uh, includes this, uh, this organization and its governing structure. Uh, the Weekly Worker condemns uh, the SWP for not acknowledging the problematic relationship, uh, nature of Hamas. Um, but yet uh, the Weekly Worker in supporting um, BDS uh, essentially does the same thing by failing to mention um, uh, this problem. So not only does, S does the SWP have a big problem, but the weekly worker, the CPGB, uh, does as well. Um, uh, so next question is what are BDS's goals? Uh, and in, um, in his writings, uh, Mike McNair um, uh, chose to, to, to zero in on the boycott uh, plank alone while ignoring all the parts. Um, uh, in his article, Change of Line, uh, no change of line, I'm sorry, in WW1379, um, uh, Mike um, defended boycotts uh, against Israel, um, but drew no distinction between consumer boycotts and labor boycotts. Um, the, when BDS talks about boycotts, they seem to be talking about consumer boycotts rather than labor boycotts, although it isn't always entirely clear. But Marxists, while not necessarily opposing either of those things, still see them very differently. Uh, a consumer boycott is a boycott by consumers, obviously. Um, and uh, consumers are belong to all classes. Um, uh, and a labor boycott, a labor strike or a secondary action or hot cargoing uh, weapons destined for Israel, of course, are a very different thing. They are an expression of the working class movement. Uh, and therefore the, the, uh, the Marxist uh, attitude towards, uh, towards working class boycotts, hot cargoing, et cetera, is very different. Um, uh, the second letter in BDS uh, stands for divestment. And those rest on appeals 
to the international bourgeoisie to withdraw investment from Israel and therefore to disemploy Israeli workers. Um, and the third letter in BDS uh, stands for sanctions. And those are appeals to foreign governments, foreign bourgeois governments, I need hardly add, including Western imperialists and the Gulf states to impose an economic blockade uh, on Israel. Much, you know, not unlike the economic blockade the US has, you know, has imposed on uh, Iran, Syria, uh, Cuba, and literally dozens of other nations. Um, BDS uh, also opposes um, what it calls the normalization of relations between um, uh, uh, Israeli Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. Um, uh, for example, it calls for a boycott of all Israeli cultural activity unless, quote, the Israeli party in the project recognizes the comprehensive Palestinian rights under international law and the product or event is one of, quote, co-resistance co rather than co-existence. I'm just quoting from the BDS website, by the way. Um, BDS goes on to say, uh, the website goes on to say that, uh, that, quote, any engagement with Israelis, individuals or institutions, that is in the original quote, that is not within the resistance framework outlined above serves to underline the normality of Israeli occupation, colonialism and apartheid in the lives of the people in the Arab world. It is therefore imperative that people in the Arab world shun all relations with Israelis unless based on co-resistance. Um, therefore, uh, BDS has called on foreign labor unions to sever links with Histadrut, the Israeli, uh, the Israeli labor union, uh, and for individual Palestinians to withdraw from uh, Histadrut. Um, and it has uh, denounced the uh, West East Divan Orchestra that was founded by Daniel Barenboim and Edward Said on the grounds that it's based on coexistence, not co-resistance. Um, and BDS supporters have gone so far as to interrupt performances by uh, Israeli music groups by engaging in, a, in group heckling. Uh, the incident I'm thinking of occurred in 2010 when hecklers interrupted a performance by the Jerusalem Quartet in, uh, in London that was being broadcast by BBC Radio. Um, so I would argue that just as appealing to a far to the international bourgeoisie or to bourgeois governments to disinvest in Israel or to impose a a bourgeois economic blockade, I would argue these methods are completely at variance uh, with socialism uh, in that they are class collaborationist. Uh, they do, do not rely on working class solid, solidarity. And in fact, they are violative of working class solidarity. Um, and uh, if you, if, 
all relations with Israelis are forbidden unless the Israelis have pre-committed to a policy of co-resistance, that that means therefore that any normal relations between Israelis and Palestinians is impossible, number one. And number two, it means that any attempt to persuade Israelis um, as to the um, uh, as to the the wrongness of Zionism and the true nature of the Palestinian plight, that that effort is cut short as well, because there is no basis for for persuasion, argument, uh, personal uh, interactions, etc., unless the Israeli in question has already arrived at an anti-Zionist uh, position, and this is also completely counter to socialist methodology. Um, so the question is therefore, if socialists, if Marxists reject the, um, uh, the question of a popular front of subordinating working class forces to, to bourgeois political forces, then how can they possibly um, uh, um, uh, support doing the same thing, defend doing the same thing uh, with regard to the thoroughly bourgeois forces that are behind uh, BDS. Uh, and let me just, um, uh, just for one second, uh, just uh, diverge the question of, not only the question of the cultural boycott, but of an academic boycott. I mean, I really actually have no idea how this actually works. I mean, uh, are, are Israeli uh, scholars to be barred from international conferences? Uh, is their work to be barred from international academic journals? Uh, what happens when Israeli scholars uh, make a discovery or breakthrough? Uh, are, are those to be ignored? Um, and, uh, and what about Israeli Arab academics? Do the same rules apply to them or do different rules apply to them? And if it's the latter, how is that not discriminatory? Um, the reason that, uh, that Hamas is part of the BDS governing structure is that BDS uh, sees itself as an outgrowth, a reflection and expression of Palestinian civil society. Um, but uh, civil, Palestinian civil society reflects all of Palestinian society, bourgeois as well as working class, uh, and therefore it's inevitable that it would, it would include a major political party uh, like Hamas. Um, but this is not the way that socialists approach uh, civil society. I mean, socialists believe in splitting the bourgeoisie from, and splitting the working class from the bourgeoisie and in, and, and in polarizing politics so that the labor is, uh, is counterposed uh, to capitalism. Um, so when WW repeatedly uh, denounces popular frontism, I'm not really quite sure how it defends the same kind of popular frontism uh, in Palestine and, uh, and how it doesn't recognize that the working class uh, should have its own policy 
these are the the uh, West East Divan Orchestra, the Jerusalem Quartet, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, rather than relying on bourgeois forces uh, in Ramallah to dictate policy toward them. Um, and finally, the fourth question is the question of the Israeli proletariat uh, in the broader Middle East. Um, uh, attitudes uh, towards uh, towards Israeli workers as evinced so far in WW seem to be uh, all over the map. I mean, we have uh, Moshe Machover, Machover uh, assuring us that, the, that BDS's impact on Israeli workers will be almost negligible, quote unquote, and therefore uh, the um, BDS is a purely symbolic campaign, uh, one whose, whose goal is to uh, quote, win a moral battle in progressive public opinion, unquote. Um, we have Tony Greenstein saying the, just about the exact opposite when he, when, when he argues that Israeli, the Israeli working class is no ally of socialists uh, and that socialists therefore should be unconcerned if BDS does real tang causes real tangible harm uh, to Israeli workers. And then we have Jack Conrad, uh, when a few weeks ago, when I asked him if he would support, uh, during one of these Sunday sessions, when I asked him if he would support an, uh, an economic strike by Israeli workers, uh, he answered in the affirmative, uh, thankfully, um, but from his attitude, maybe I'm reading too much into this, he seemed to think the question was secondary or peripheral. Um, but I would submit the Israeli working class is not peripheral at all. Rather, I would say it's a central part of a highly diverse Middle East proletariat that includes Palestinian workers in the occupied territories and in Israel proper, South Asian workers in the Gulf state, workers in Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Egypt who've had a long history of labor militancy, uh, impoverished workers in Yemen, et cetera, um, and that the Israeli proletariat is itself diverse in that it includes not just Jews, but Arabs, Russians, Thai and Filipino guest workers, et cetera. Any socialist movement in the Middle East must not penalize Israeli workers per se, um, but to the contrary, should welcome Israeli-Palestinian workers as comrades in a common struggle against wage cuts, unemployment, imperialist aggression, and so on. And the same goes for cultural natural, national concerns. Um, Jews are now a minority in both greater Israel, i.e. the territory from the uh, river to the sea, uh, and in the larger Middle East. Their fears, concerns, and legitimate cultural and national aspirations deserve to be recognized just at no more and no less than those of other minorities throughout the region such as Alawites, Shiites, Yazidis, uh, Assyrian Christians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Minority rights are trampled throughout the Middle East and therefore minority rights for all minorities 
must be a primary concern of all socialists. Um, uh, Tony Greenstein recently wrote uh, that um, uh, regarding Histadrut, the Israeli Trade Union Federation, uh, that Histadrut was never a trade union, but rather, rather is a great colonizing agency, which for its first 38 years, refused admission to Arab workers, and after that kept them in a separate Arab section headed by a Jew. This is not true. The infant Palestine Communist Party enjoyed considerable success in organizing Jewish and Arab railroad workers uh, who were part of the uh, uh, union that was part of the Histadrut Federation in the early 1920s. The PCP, to be sure, left Histadrut in 1925. But what's absolutely crucial is the PCP did not go voluntarily. Rather, they were expelled by nationalists who were all too aware of the damage they could do to Zionism if allowed to remain inside. So the PCP perspective was one of remaining inside Histadrut, not boycotting it as, uh, as Tony uh, calls for. Um, and this was the perspective of, of Trotskyists, by the way, uh, throughout this period. Um, in 1949, for example, a German-Israeli Trotskyist named uh, Gabriel Baer, B-A-E-R, uh, wrote in the journal Fourth International, the first and foremost task of the Middle Eastern working class today is the demand for the legalization of trade unions and labor organizations. The main aim for which Trotskyist groups in the Middle East must strive is the unification of labor across the imperialist boundaries. Our old slogan, a Congress of trade unions all over the Middle East is not only still valid, but has acquired additional importance in the new situation. And I might add that, uh, that Baer was writing in May 1949 after the war between uh, Israel and the, um, and the Arabs. So that war did not make the question of, of international proletarian solidarity less pressing, it made it more pressing. And there's been a great deal of talk about how the Israeli working class, presumably only the Jewish portion of that working class, and that's not really quite clear, has somehow removed itself from the, uh, from the international proletariat by virtue of its, of its subordination uh, to its own uh, uh, bourgeoisie and the Zionist project of a uh, settler colonialism uh, and et cetera. And I think that the, uh, in this, to this American socialist, uh, uh, what's strange about this is the, the AFL-CIO, the main uh, labor confederation in the US is really very little different. Um, I mean, the AFL-CIO is so thoroughly integrated into the US war machine that it's been dubbed the AFL-CIA. There's a rich history 
of racism in the and U.S. labor. That's your four minutes uh, warning. Uh, yes, thank you, yeah. thank you. Um, Eugene V. Debs called on rail unions to admit black workers, for example, but was voted down. Uh, but nonetheless, he still led the 1894 Pullman Porter rail strike, one of the most tumultuous strikes in U.S. history. The color bar was widespread throughout American labor until communists went on the offensive against it, starting in the late teens and early 1920s. This drive occurred roughly around the same time the PCP was trying to organize against the color bar uh, in, inside Hista Druth. And I might add the CPUSA uh, drive was highly successful. Uh, and indeed, so successful, but that, but that by the early 1930s, uh, the Communist Party in the American South was known as, excuse the expression, the nigger party. Um, and to this day, Blacks are more likely to belong to U.S. labor unions uh, than the population is as a whole. But still, a color bar still exists in certain elite craft unions, but our socialist policy is not of boycotting the AFL-CIO as a consequence, but of trying to work within it in order to, to counter racism from within the labor movement. And um, I might quote Lenin in left-wing communism, if you want to help the masses and win the sympathy and support of the masses, you should not fear fear difficulties or pinprick chicanery, et cetera, from so-called leaders, but must absolutely work wherever the masses are to be found. And to me, that includes uh, Histadruth. Uh, or to quote um, Mike McNair in his recent article, No Change of Line, our interest in the working class movement is not in the idea of a perfect purified workers movement, but of the actual warts and all movement, which very imperfectly points to the possibility of a cooperative future. Um, uh, just a final point, um, uh, just to take one issue with Mike and one thing he said about my arguments, um, he said for the US and in today's circumstances, also for the UK to pursue a purity politics argument for rejecting outright support for the BDS campaign is unavoidably in practice to solidarize with the witch hunters who deploy closely related arguments. So therefore I assume from that statement that Mike is saying that criticizing BDS amounts to support for, uh, for the labor uh, party leaders who are trying to drive anti-Zionists out, uh, out of the party. But I'm left puzzled by this argument because I don't see um, how it is any different from arguments that Trotsky was effectively solidarizing with the Third Reich in the 1930s in, quote, pursuing a purity politics argument vis-a-vis -vis the Stalinist regime in Moscow. So just to sum up, I think it's crucially important to criticize BDS, which I see as a classic popular front enterprise that has brought the working class uh, into collaboration with some very nasty 
political forces that nonetheless have a, uh, a certain following in Palestinian civil society. Um, and that we can't be afraid to criticize BDS, even though it may sound similar to certain criticisms and, you know, emanating out of bourgeois circles, these things are inevitable, uh, and that it is wrong to try to shut down criticism of BDS on this basis. So I know that, uh, that um, the uh, CPGB uh, is deeply committed to BDS as part of its uh, work against the Keir Starmer regime. Uh, but I think that it is, has worked itself into a very uh, bad anti-labor popular front policy. Uh, over to you, Stan. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Uh, that's the argument against, and now uh, Mike McNair, half an hour on the... I'm uh, going to talk, I think, but slightly about different territory, but we'll see how far um, uh, that uh, 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 we intersect. I start with defeatism and the point that in wars, uh, we take the view that, quote, the main enemy is at home uh, or uh, the uh, taking it not uh, the uh, Lenin, but uh, August Babel, not one penny, not one man for this regime. Um, it is not governed by the merits of the other side. It holds equally true if the enemy is the Kaiser or uh, for Germans, if the enemy is the Tsar or if the enemy is the horrors of the British Empire. Uh, Parvus, one of the famous, fairly famous contributor to the idea of permanent revolution, uh, in August 1914, became an advocate of uh, uh, German defensism. He became an advocate of German defensism uh, in the name of, uh, uh, in the first place, of uh, solidarity with uh, Turkish self-determination, the right of the Turks to self-determination under regime where they were currently had their tax offices and uh, judiciary and so on and so forth controlled by the British and French uh, creditor committee. Uh, and then the, the second article you wrote on the topic is about the self-determination of Ukraine as a reason for justifying um, uh, uh, support for the German state. 1917, this is going in a slightly different direction. Karl Kautsky, um, <clears throat> moved from his initial uh, position of saying that uh, the uh, workers' movement should support only defensive war aims, uh, should make its support for the German regime conditional on purely defensive war aims and general pacifistic objection, to uh, writing uh, about the national question and, and in particular about self-determination of Belgium and Serbia. That is to say that Kautsky in spring, summer 1917 ceased to be a defeatist in relation to Germany, whenever was a defeatist in relation to Germany, but moved from uh, the pacifistic position into an Entente victory, victory to the Entente uh, position. And uh, that victory to the Entente position led Kautsky uh, in October 1917 to denounce the uh, uh, October Revolution, October, November 1917, to denounce the October Revolution as a coup. Uh, 
Behind this argument for defensism consists the proposition that we're in, in the business of the overthrow of this constitutional order. We're in the business of the overthrow of this constitutional order in the same way as uh, the English oppositionists who in 1639 uh, collaborated uh, with and uh, supported Scott's invasion of Northern England, military invasion of Northern England in order to force Charles I to call Parliament. And like those uh, who in 1688 asked for a Dutch, full-dress Dutch invasion, invited the Dutch to invade England, was a full-dress military invasion. Um, and like the American revolutionaries who after 1776 allied with the old enemy, France. We're in the business of the overthrow of the constitution because the overthrow of the constitutional order sets free the elements of the new society with which the old collapsing society itself is pregnant, marks on the civil war in France. While conversely, uh, the, uh, this isn't in Marx, but there's plenty of bloody evidence of it, the preservation of the old constitutional order, the state intervenes to reverse social developments, and artificially preserve the old social order. Jeffrey Parker's work on 17th to 18th century France uh, is uh, extremely clear on this. To a, on a larger scale, we can see it uh, in uh, uh, China in the uh, early modern period and in Japan uh, under the uh, Tokugawa, uh, Tokugawa regime. Um, So we are in the business of the overthrow of the state in order to set free the state order in order to set free the elements of the new society. That has the consequence that when our state is involved in war, uh, our primary responsibility is not to give advice of one sort and another to uh, uh, the, uh, our, our, our comrades in the, the targeted um, regime, but our primary responsibility is to carry on a defeatist agitation. The point is not victory to the other side. It's not that we are for the victory of Hamas. It's not that, by the contrary, we are, we are all Hamas. We denounce this line of the Socialist Workers' Party that we are all Hamas. Uh, it's not uh, we are for the victory of the Kaiser in 1914. It's not as Lenin put it, it's not to blow up bridges and in other ways assist the uh, uh, state in repressing the workers' movement. It's to recognize that the war has become central to politics and to conduct an ag anti-war agitation which stretches as widely as possible and uh, uh, as far as possible uh, reaches even into the uh, armed forces. What we're concerned with, therefore, is an agitation. It's in this context that actually it's misleading to say there is a difference between uh, 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 workers' action uh, in the form of uh, um, uh, labor boycott and uh, consumer boycott activity and similar points, because what we're concerned with is not uh, strike action. We're not proposing a syndicalist uh, version of um, blowing up bridges and other ways, assisting the uh, uh, state to uh, repress the uh, 
the revolutionaries. Uh, we're proposing to get the widest possible understanding in the society as a whole of uh, uh, the uh, um, of, of, of opposition to the war. In this context, um, symbolic campaigning is as important, symbolic initiatives are as important as uh, direct action initiatives. The boycott campaign in this sense is a campaign of symbolic initiatives. Um, and if we consider going back to the 1860s, yeah, the campaign of workers' solidarity with the union side in uh, um, uh, uh, the Civil War, certainly a campaign of solidarity in this case with the uh, bourgeois side of the, uh, uh, of, of, of the Civil War, um, was merely a campaign of counter meetings. That is to say that the uh, 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 cotton manufacturers tried to get up public, large public meetings in order to urge the uh, government to use the British Navy to break the uh, Union's blockade of uh, uh, the uh, Confederacy. Mm -hmm. And the workers' movement got up counter meetings. It was merely organizing larger counter meetings. What came out of these counter meetings uh, was uh, the initiative to, for the formation that this movement of solidarity with the um, uh, uh, with the North was uh, the overthrow of an older uh, leadership of the uh, workers movement. The uh, labor press at the start of the war was actually largely pro-Confederate and the overthrow of this older leadership uh, created the opportunity and the opening which gave rise to the uh, formation of the first international. So why do I say that this is about uh, a war? I say this is about a war. I've said this in the article which I wrote in response to Comrade Lazare um, the other week. This is about a war for two reasons. It's about a war for the Americans because the Israeli state is no more autonomous from the US state than the East India Company was from the British state. Obviously that was not true originally, but post 1961, post the turn of the Kennedy administration to what became described as the settled policy of the United States that Israel should have a qualitative military edge over its neighbors. Yeah. The operations, the military operations of the Israeli state are operations which the US state can turn off at will. It isn't necessarily the case that it starts them any more than that the uh, British state started and chose to take uh, the military operations of the East India Company. Nonetheless, the United States can turn, the, turn these off at its will, and it does turn them off to, at its will when it suits its... Uh, diplomatic agenda. So as far as the United States is concerned, uh, this is a colonial war carried on by an agency of the United States, which is uh, the Israeli state. Uh, it's the profound illusion of many liberal and quite a good many labor movement opponents of uh, uh, United States support for Israel, that this is reflects uh, Israeli interests and the Israeli lobby, the success of Israeli lobbying in the United States. On the contrary, it reflects simply the interest of the United States in holding veto power over 
uh, the uh, state politics in the Middle East to preclude the possibility of uh, alliances um, which uh, uh, could affect the US's geopolitical power uh, by allowing other people access to, given that the uh, um, uh, form of the US military operations depends on the use of uh, petrol, diesel and aviation fuel. Um, it's not that the US needs the petrol, diesel and aviation fuel of the Middle East, it's that the US is insistent insist that it should be able to turn off the supply of petrol, diesel and aviation fuel to France, Germany, China, which are the countries which are uh, hypothetical, potential uh, rivals uh, to uh, uh, the United States. And um, that until uh, the early 2000s, that policy was a matter of the United States. Britain and France and indeed Germany were allowed a substantial degree of um, political autonomy in their dealings with the Arab countries. The, Britain and France in particular were allowed that degree of autonomy because of the historical colonial relationships between uh, 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 Britain and France and the several post-colonial uh, Arab countries and also actually Britain and Saudi Arabia, which had never been formally colonized, but had been the Saudi royal family was a, a, a creature of, um, was sponsored by uh, the British state in the interwar period. Um, 2003, the war, the run up to the war in 2003, the actual anti-war movement in 2003, the failure of France and Germany to support the war in 2003, the invasion of Iraq, led the United States to determine that uh, the autonomy of the uh, European countries in dealings with the Arab countries, and therefore their right to do as they had done from time to time, explicitly denounce uh, Israeli military action, uh, that that should go. And the means of overcoming the autonomy of the, the, the European countries in their relationships with the Arab countries was the creation of the uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance uh, definition, quote, definition of anti-Semitism uh, and uh, the uh, campaigns which were got up initially in Germany around this question and uh, uh, carried after Jeremy Corbyn unexpectedly won the leadership of the Labour Party uh, into uh, Britain. Um, the consequence of that is that all that 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 uh, Britain becomes a party to the uh, uh, United States' uh, uh, war operations through its uh, uh, client regime in Israel, and. We, we are now in a situation where rather than we are half on the sidelines because the British state keeps its uh, maneuvers between, as it did in fact, between uh, 1967 and um, uh, 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 2003, maneuvers diplomatically between the um, support for the Israeli state and uh, 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 endorsement of uh, Arab states' demands in relation to the Palestinians. They, 
that ceased to be the case. And in, in place of it, it becomes the case that uh, the first casual truth is the first casualty of war. The form in which truth is the first casualty of war takes in this context uh, <coughs> is two forms, two central forms in relation to this stuff, one of which is uh, in relation to um, is what's called whataboutery. That is to say that Israel is by no means unique. It's true Israel is by no means unique, but Israel is as being a tyrannical regime. Israel is unique. Um, Israel was unique. I got one thing wrong in my article. Israel was unique until um, uh, Indonesia next East Timor, which was the first open and express violation of the um, uh, uh, Nuremberg principles. Um, and I say of the Nuremberg Principles, I should say, because uh, uh, somebody wrote in the letters column uh, condemnation of what I argued in relate that in relation to uh, Crimea. Now, Crimea is a violation of the Nuremberg Principles, the UN Charter, but that's simply because that's the purely juridical point. And in essence, actually, the United States in 2003 um, uh, repudiated committed a repudiatory breach of uh, the Nuremberg Principles and UN Charter by waging aggressive war against Iraq, so that we should regard this as being, it's a juridical point which is uh, out of date. Israel is unique because it's, as Comrade Makaba has argued, it's a live settler colonial regime which is actually still taking land, continues to take land uh, for the benefit of settlers uh, coming from elsewhere. Israel is unique, secondly, because of this point that this Israel is the immediate client of the United States in the way in which no other colonial regime uh, is immediate, the immediate client of the uh, semi-colonial regime, settler regime, whatever, is the immediate client of the United States in the sense of being given, quote, a qualitative military edge over its neighbours. Uh, Australia, for example, doesn't have a qualitative military edge over India or India or China. It has a U.S. nuclear umbrella over it, um, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, the single exception, as I said in the article, is uh, South Korea, in relation to which the view of the United States continues to be that there is a war on the Korean Peninsula, and that the North Korean uh, regime is an illegitimate rebel regime which needs to be overthrown uh, and for that reason the United States uh, continues to arm the South Korean regime uh, in for war purposes. Okay so Israel is uh, what about is misconceived the argument for what about is misconceived and false and it's misconceived and false uh, because of the uh, 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 character of the relationship between the United States and the Israeli regime. And since the United States' um, turn in the wake of Iraq to recover uh, control over more, to, 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 to reverse, to prevent uh, any repetition of what happened around Iraq um, by using uh, uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, um, the uh, 
uh, uh, that also affects uh, Britain I, as well. I'm not quite sure how far it affects France, uh, but uh, in the same way. It is now a war of our state, which our state has made it chosen to make itself a party to, and in which the question of defeatism is engaged. Uh, the second side of this is the second argument, which is the argument for solidarity with the uh, uh, Israeli working class, uh, which uh, uh, Comrade Lazari has made more explicit in uh, uh, his letter to the latest weekly worker and in his uh, speech uh, at the present time. Solidarity, I should say, particularly with the Israeli Jewish working class, uh, because uh, uh, it, the, of the concern about um, uh, legitimate uh, um, national and cultural aspirations. Mm. Now, there are two fundamental mistakes involved in this argument. Mm. Uh, we start from the point of view, suppose that we were uh, in, we were uh, a Palestinian socialist organization, yeah. or indeed a socialist organization in Egypt or uh, Syria or any, God help, in any of these other countries, God help us in the situation that you'd be in, uh, then the strategic orientation uh, of uh, trying to make a class unity across the borders and separate uh, the uh, uh, Israeli Jewish, Israeli Jewish workers from the uh, Israeli Jewish bodies would be a plausible and in some respects desirable option. But to suppose that this is the only strategic op op option is uh, uh, misconceived um, because it, uh, it presupposes that it is impossible, either the United States will be overthrown, that the world hegemony of the United States will be overthrown, yeah. or that um, the United States will shift its military technology, that there will be a sufficient shift in the military technology, that the aspiration of the United States to keep a stranglehold on the Middle East and oil taps will go away. And then in either of those cases, uh, the foundation of the uh, imperialist support for the United States will go away. Making the, reducing the uh, imperialist support for the United States is actually more likely to produce um, a, a separation, a degree of separation of the Israeli Jewish working class from the Israeli Jewish boss class, as we can see, in fact, um, with the, uh, 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 decline, a real decline of loyalism in the six counties in Ulster, that the partial, very partial withdrawal of British state support for loyalism caused crisis and difficulty in loyalism as a political trend and so on and so forth. So that's one issue. The second issue is uh, the um, conception of the nature of class movements. Mm -hmm. Uh, of which un, un, underlying it, the conception of the nature of the working class. Why should we suppose that uh, the Israeli working class is, as uh, Comrade Lazari writes in his latest letter, the centrality in the larger Middle East of an Israeli-Arab-Palestinian proletariat, uh, 
composed not just of Arabs and Jews, but of Russians, Thai and Filipino guest workers and so on. Why is that central? Why is that a country of five million, uh, which you're talking about five million uh, uh, to exercise control over roughly 200 million um, Arab population, Arab speaking population of, uh, of the Middle East? Why is that minority central? The supposition is that that minority is central because it's a minority which is employed in industry. And the underlying assumption, just as the assumption makes a radical separation between uh, labor boycotts and consumer boycotts and says labor boycotts are a working class tactic and consumer boycotts are not a working class tactic, uh, that uh, assumption is actually syndicalist. The underlying assumption is that the working class can take power because it is uh, in industry, that the working class can take power because it's in work. Uh, and uh, the unemployed workers uh, and uh, those who are otherwise dependent on the social wage and so on and so forth, cease to be part of the, part of the strategic orientation of the working class. This is okay, this is coming from uh, the history of uh, American Trotskyism. It's in the con fundamental conceptions of uh, James P. Cannon. Going along with that also, uh, Cannon's thesis on the American Revolution, there's a messianic uh, role attributed to the American working class. That role is attributed to the American working class because of the centrality of industry in the United States, of the industrial uh, preponderance of industry in the United States. And it's conceived it was a delusion. Uh, Comrade Lazari is entirely correct to say that the Communist Party of the USA built mass movements uh, against the color bar and in favor of uh, black organization. The Socialist Workers Party of the United States and its descendants among the Spartacists and so on um, uh, had delusion that because they had led some strike actions and because Cannon came from uh, the nativist wing of the uh, Communist Party of the USA in the 1920s, they had the delusion that this little organization of a couple of thousand had overtaken the CPUSA in 1946 and that they were the natural leaders of uh, the world revolution. And um, this delusion is affected, has affected um, uh, all the tendencies, all the tendencies which grew out of that um, uh, uh, of that uh, political tendency. So there's a false conception in relation to um, mobilizing the uh, Israeli working class being central to the Middle Eastern working class. There's a false conception in relation to the idea of the overthrow of uh, Zionism inevitably taking the form of class differentiation between the Israeli Jewish working class and the Israeli Jewish bosses. Um, I flag just one thing. Uh, the, there is a. It's not a. It's not a typo. It's a bad uh, um, piece of bad writing on my part. Though there may have been editing. I wrote uh, reject outright support for BDS, and that's ambiguous. Um, what I meant by reject outright is reject altogether support for BDS. 
reject outright support for BDS could mean we have to give outright support to BDS. We have to follow them down the line because they're the representatives of the oppressed. I don't agree with that. But on the other hand, to argue for no support to BDS on the grounds that it's a pop front and so on, uh, actually, this is not me artificially saying this is using the arguments of the witch hunters. This is actually unavoidably, this is using the arguments of the witch hunters um, in the, uh, 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 the immediate context. That's it. <laughs>